Hi there, it's Nick here. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And I'd like to thank all our generous sponsors who make this possible as well, particularly the ROA, the Racehorse Owners Association, who have their horse racing awards once again for the 41st time on the evening of Thursday, the 7th of December. I've got an offer for all the listeners who want to be there and rub shoulders with the stars of the sport. You can be there at this black tie event, which takes place at the Royal Lancaster Hotel in London and includes a drinks reception and a three-course dinner with wine before the awards ceremony itself. It's a great night, great fun, and you see everybody let their hair down and really embrace the spirit of the sport. There are 14 Flat and National Hunt Awards up for grabs, plus the highly coveted Horse of the Year, and owner of the year, if you would like to join some of the biggest names in racing at a specially discounted rate, you can do so by going to roa.co.uk forward slash NLD and entering the code NLD to buy your individual tickets for £235 or a table for 10 at 2250 The offer closes at noon this Saturday. You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Wednesday, November the 15th, coming to you once again from the Kingdom of Bahrain. And joined this morning by Jane Mangan, who is coming to you from the sales ring at Tattersall's Island. Jane, good morning. What's happening? Lots happening. You're uh, traveling the world and it's a little bit warmer where you are, um, but it's quite a pleasant morning here on um, what is what, the fourth day of the November National Hunt Sales, National Hunt Falls, um, and some very good trade yesterday. Yesterday is typically the, the strongest day of the of the National Hunt Falls here in Fairy House. Um, top lot yesterday was 100 grand for walking the park from Oliver Lachlan's. Um, and I think there's a mixed feeling am- amongst the vendors and buyers regards the market this year. A-, a lot of people were bracing for a bit of an impact in terms of a slump in the market. You might not have felt that altogether yesterday, but there was a great offering of foals yesterday and the quality was good. We might feel that a li- little bit more today. Um, we often talk about sire power and national hunt racing and, and in, in our market, and it is clearly evident in getting if I can even say it, getting a little bit stronger because of the top 25 lots sold at this sale so far, of the top 25, 10 were by Blue Brazil and nine were by Walk in the Park. So 19 of the top 25 foals sold have been by two sires. And, uh, you know, if you remember the 28 races run at Cheltenham, last year, 27 different winning sires. It's not a reflection of the racetrack results, but unfortunately, fashion is getting ever stronger in the sales ring. That's that's actually pretty preposterous, isn't it? It, it, it? When you think about it, when you put it that starkly, nineteen horses by two stallions amongst the top twenty-five lots, and as you say, that huge diversity of winning sires at the Cheltenham Festival, including stallions from France, of course, as well, and stallions that are, that are based in England, it, it it does seem it does seem crazy. And of course, what it'll also do is it means that the stallion masters who stand those sires can drive their prices up hugely, but it doesn't necessarily drag the rest of the market up with it, does it? No, it's actually creating a divide between what everybody wants, which is the top two or three or four sires, and then the rest. And that's not healthy because you need to have a pyramid market. You need to have a narrow top, a middling base, which which is solid, and then um, 
the foundation needs to be strong. And it doesn't seem that that is the case at the moment. Now, I do think we're in a cyclical, we are in a cyclical market. And at the moment, we're probably turning the corner, having had a couple of very strong years to coming back down to normality. Now, as you say, the flat fees have been announced. National fees are going to be announced, I, I'd imagine, imminently after this sale. And the stallion masses of those two particular stallions can can charge what they want because every vendor and breeder is going to want to use them. But it's the next question: Do you do you make your mating plans for next year on the top twenty five lots at Tattersalls or Goffs, or do you make your mating plans based on what actually suits the pedigree and physical of your mare? And uh, if we're to compete as Irish bred horses are, if they're to compete with the, the French, as we uh, love the rivalry that we've got on the track. How are we expected to beat them when we're narrowing the gene pool so much? And if you look beyond the top 25 lots and see who's coming next, it's generally unproven sires from next, aside from at least Walking the Park and Blue Brazil are getting top horses, and we'll get onto some of those horses a little bit later on. Flocking big books of mares into unproven horses cannot be the way forward either, so... I do think the market is okay. I think it's definitely taken a little bit of a turn, but I'm a little bit concerned for the future of National Hunt stock if we are flocking to a small number of mare, of, of stallions with a huge number of mares. Well, one horse who has made quite an impression in the last 24 hours as a stallion is the old Saddler's Well stallion that, that stood at Coolmore, Ask, because he, he was a supplier of a 150-to-1 winner yesterday at uh, Lingfield on her debut. Not only that, he's a sire of a very good horse who runs in the Greatwood Hurdle this weekend called Look Away, who's trained by Neil King. And Neil has always eulogised about the talent of this horse. And I put in a call to him to ask him just why that was. Good morning, Nick. Um, he he's, he just oozes class. He's a, he's a gorgeous-looking horse. Everything's in the right place on him. Um, I ride him out in the mornings. He gives you the tremendous feel. And he's just a, a real tough, hardy horse that just, to me, uses class. He's a very good workhorse at home, as one would expect, with his, his form. Um, he's got speed in time. I know he'll stay. Yeah, he ticks an awful lot of boxes. So having done having done what he did as a as a very young horse... How despondent were you last year when things weren't really coming together for him? Um, I wasn't so despondent with him as an individual. I was despondent with the the whole yard. We were, uh, I experienced the worst season I've ever had last year. We had a, a difficult time and i knew that he was being affected by the others were were being affected that was was quite clear so i never lost faith in him it was just uh just so frustrating that we yeah we just couldn't find the the, the get to the bottom of the problem until the springtime uh yeah to go and win his two little races before we put him away for the summer and then he's come out and and, and won really impressively on his on his comeback as well um how how happy are you with his progression going into going into sunday um, he, I mean, he's got to improve. That was his uh, his first run of the season. Obviously, at Cheltenham, everything else were were race fit horses. Um, he's got to come on, just be sharpened up for having had that run um, at Cheltenham. Um, I've actually just worked him this morning. Felt a million dollars squealing going down the ridgeway with me, and uh, no, very very happy with him, and looking forward to it. And you're you're in no doubt that this is the most naturally gifted horse that you've handled. Yeah, uh, little Rockefeller was. A- and a lot of talent, but some days he used to. He had a 
Spain started running, he dropped himself out and then um, come storming back home to, to win or just get defeated. Had he laid up all the way, he'd have won many more. But no, look away, I just seem as a, a, you know, a consistent, hardy sort. Um, I can't, can't say enough about him. All right, that was Neil King on look away at the weekend. Um, one of the, uh, the headline horses, if you like, in the Great Wood Hurdle. Not the headline horse, however, on Sunday at Cheltenham, Jane, because Paul Byrne, um, super smart Irish owner, is at it again with another recruit that has been punted off the boards. Tell me about it this time. Yes, it's called Only a Matter of Time, and uh, that could apply to Paul Byrne and Willie Mullins when they team up. It could be only a matter of time before they're back in the winner's enclosure. Um, of course, the, the owner associated with having sold Noble Yates, I suppose, is the best uh, association he's had, won this race, uh, the Great Hurdle, back in 2020 with the Emmett Mullins-trained The Shunter. And he's back now this time with a horse that won a maiden hurdle for Niall Madden back in June of 23. He was last seen running out of Cork on the 7th of August. We're now into November and he's now into Sutton. And the bookmakers are not taking any chance. He's already at the top of the market and strong. We don't have a rider jockey up yet. It's typical of Willie Mullins. He'll be waiting uh, for a, a late call on that. But this horse is inexperienced, which also means he's unexposed. He's rated 115 in the UK. Next horse in the market is your top weight, Namine Leon. He's rated 140. So he's potentially going to have a featherweight. He's number 18 at the moment. And I can see why bookmakers are not taking a chance. And what about the Paddy Power Gold Cup on Saturday? Tom and Lee dealt with this pretty extensively yesterday. Spoke to Paddy Neville about the real whacker. Big feature in today's trade paper, The Racing Post, uh, with Laura Morgan, to whom we spoke on the podcast a couple of weeks ago about not long till May. Uh, Paul Nichols dominating the market with Stage Star and Il Ridotto, who was a fancy for the race last year. Freddie Gingell, who had his biggest career success in the Holden Gold Cup the other day on Elixir de Nuts, takes the ride on, on Il Ridotto with stable jockey Harry Cobden on Stage Star. Do you have an idea where your money is headed, if anywhere, for Saturday's big race? Well, it's nice for a handicap to have the Turner's winner versus the Brown Advisory winner and two proper grade one horses. Um unexpected party is the novice chase option as well I think I'd be going there albeit he's um, quite short in the market for this you mentioned some of the others Freddie Gingell taking seven off Il Rodoto, Angel's Breath potentially an Irish challenge if authorised art and or final orders goes there but I like the real whacker I think he's the horse that if there's a horse to defy top weight we saw Lompresse do it last year in a handicap because he's a genuine grade one horse and so is this guy Two and a half miles is probably his minimum, and uh, he'll definitely set the pace for them to challenge. Uh, heavier the ground, the better. If there's a horse to defy top weight, it's him, and I think he's currently around seven to one. I wish Paddy Neville all the best because they had him in the Gold Cup last year before they went to the Brown Advisory. Lest we not forget that. And uh, this, I, I just think he's he's not over raced. A lot of people were saying, oh, he was a. Uh, Jerry Colombo was a little bit unlucky in the Brown Advisory last year. Lucky or unlucky, he got beaten. And the real whacker won. And the fourth horse, Iron Maximus, has come out and won the Irish National. Thunder Rock, the sixth horse, has come out and won a good race since as well. So that looks like it's reading a very strong renewal of the Brown Advisory. And if this guy's a seven-raising eight-year-old, he could still be on the improve. Uh, what about the horses who are established and are going to run at Navan this weekend? If you want to be anywhere, you probably want to be there. The star power is quite remarkable, uh, not to mention the volume 
of of horses uh, being being produced from the, the Elliot Yard in the Troy Town Chase. We'll come to that in a minute. Let's talk about the novice novices first. We know that Marine Nacional is now not running, uh, unfortunately, because the ground is too soft for him. We have to wait till Christmas. But we do know that Fasal Vega is running. What's he running against? Well, he's entered. So we had a meeting at Fairy House on Tuesday abandoned because of heavy rainfall. So there's potential for huge fields at Navin both Saturday and Sunday. It's the first time they've amalgamated both the Fertria meeting and the Troy Town meeting into one festival this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. The Beginner's Chase on Saturday features Facile Vega, Gaelic Warrior in the pocket. So there's three very high-class hurdlers going chasing there. You say maybe one or two of them will run. And then in the beginner's chase on Sunday, you have uh, the prospect of throwing classical dream, fact to file. And I think uh, Gaelic Warrior also has an entry in that because we know that Willie Mullins plays around with distances. Um, Throw in the likes of Three Card Bragg and Dr. Bravo, American Mike. These beginner's chases, you've got, you've got graded races in Cheltenham. These are beginner's chases in Ireland. And I venture to say they're every bit as good. Yeah, they are. Let's talk about this this insane Elliot entry in the Troy Town. Shall we just put some numbers on this for me? So there is 24 runners left in at this stage, of all of which will get a run if they want to, because the maximum field in Navin is 25 or offences. And of the 24, 17 are trained by Gordon Elliott. And Gordon indicated on RT Racing last weekend that whatever will get in, it has an intention to run. Do you have a fancy? I like Dunboyne, lightweight down the bottom. He's currently in around 138, given 10.6. And I like Run Wild Fred because it's his ideal conditions. Um, against the Elliott camp, Henry de Bramhead has a good chance, but ain't that a shame. The Devil's Coachman for Noel Mead isn't without his chance. And Largy debut down the bottom for Henry as well. So, look, it's probably all going to go back to Cullen Traw. We know this has been happening over the last couple of years with Gordon Elliott. We've had a couple of beginners. Uh, we've had a couple of very valuable handicap chases in Ireland from the Munster National at Limerick. Didn't fill Cork National, obviously at Cork Racecourse Mallow. Didn't fill, and this is the Troy Town at Navan, and it's not filling. So I'm just going to ask the question: Where are all our staying chasers in Ireland? Are they going for export because they're not going to the graded races of which we saw there was a two-runner graded race? Down Royal last weekend. There was a three-runner Clan Mel Oil. Just wonder where all the horses gone. Hang on, you're not going to tell me they've all been sold to Hong Kong and Australia as well, are you? I'm not for a moment, but I'm a little bit. <laughs> I'm a little bit jealous of your Paddy Power Gold Cup at Cheltenham being so competitive, and we have a sixty grand handicap at Navan. That looks like it's going to be dominated by one stable. Hey, whisper it quietly, but a British race plan is getting something right. You guys have always had a lot of handicap chases and you have one every Saturday and you call it a gold cup when it's not. Um, so, yeah, you've got a lot of uh, handicap chases and you've got a lot of horses to fill them. How you managed to turn that compliment into an insult was absolutely tremendous. But I, I expect nothing. I expect nothing <laughs> left. Now, you'll be looking forward to seeing Protectorat out again, no doubt, soon. Uh, because Dan Skelton's been making positive noises about his defence of his Betfair Chase crown. Of course, the Betfair Chase t- takes place at Haydock Park on Saturday week. Would you believe it in Bahrain? I've run into his owner. 
Jed Mason, who, with Sir Alex Ferguson and partners, has Spirit Dancer in the big race on, on Friday. But also, Jed looking forward to a wonderful campaign with his, with his jumpers, hopefully. Yeah. Jed, should we start with the jumpers, then? Come do it, Nick. Yeah, good morning. Yes. Good morning. So, good. Protector ass. I, a, a read today is bound for a defence of his Betfair chase crown. Dan Skelton, bullish as ever. But I, I don't think I've ever known Dan Skelton not to be not bullish. Not to be bullish, you? no. He's, uh, he's always eternally optimist and... Uh, yeah, he thinks it's well. He's, it's obviously been targeted uh, since last year, and uh, all things have been going well. Fingers crossed at home, and we're doing some nice works on a race course gallop. So, all all uh, all pointers are indicating he's, uh, he's he's in good order to go. And of course, you've had so many good horses with with Paul Nichols, and you've won your King George's, and had some some tremendous moments with him. And of course, you've got Protector out with Dan. Is there a nice little bit of friendly rivalry that you, you engender between the two? Yeah, of course, because obviously Dan was uh, was his understudy there, so there is banter all the time and uh, what's what's quite funny is that what we might call uh, brave man's game, soft man's game and he calls Pataka crap, so uh, we, we, we do have some banter. In, uh, you're, bra- you're braver than me, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, at first ball looked to me funny, but he's uh, you take, you take it all, all with a sense of humour both guys they've got a good friendship as well outside of racing I think we're going to have to call this episode Soft Man's Game <laughs> yeah, yeah Soft Man's Game yeah there you go Paul <laughs> um, of, all the, of all the horses that you've had jumping so far which one do you think has given you the most pleasure oh without I mean three, three I'll mention but one particular obviously my first win at Cheltenham with Sporazine that's the one that you always remember your first big win at County Hurdle for those who are not old enough to remember the, the great coup produced by Paul Nichols when he left Rigmarole the top waiting and left you in on 10 stone 4 yeah, he wouldn't get away with that now no he wouldn't he played that card well and then uh, What's a Friend which Sir Alex and I had our first horse together loved that horse overperformed and uh, Ruby actually mentioned to Paul that it was one of his best training feats to, to get the grade ones he won but in all fairness, Clans de Obo, without question, uh, took us to many places and winning the King George and Tote Bowls, uh, once in a lifetime type horses, people say, and I think we've had one. And if we get, is, uh, we've got some relation, brother, half brother with um, Isaac de Ozobo, and if he's half as good, we'll have some delight. Do you th- I don't think I've ever seen Paul Nichols as satisfied as he was when Clan de Zobo won at Punchester. Yeah, he was chuffed to bits, and you know, um, I guess Mr. Barber, who was obviously. Yeah. done so much for Paul and been his mentor and meant a lot but also I think for me as well you know I've been in the yard 20, since 2020 so uh, he was delighted and uh, yeah it was great to see him jumping up and down with me and uh, we, we did celebrate that night for sure I bet you did are you going to be celebrating on Friday with Sir Alex and Richard Farhee and your partners in, in Spirit Dance yeah well that'd be nice yeah we'd uh, I think they might end up in Australia, not in England. When we, if we if we won that, it would be a big celebration. But yeah, it's a big ask. But um, we're here and we've bought the lottery ticket and we've entered. So good luck to it. To, good luck to Spirit Dance. I'd be delighted if Sir Alex won something like that. It'd be fantastic. And a homebred as well. Homebred, yeah. Out of Frankel and uh, Alex, uh, yeah, chose chose it all, did it all, and he's got some great enjoyment out of seeing him fulfil some of his tasks on the track like he's done. And you know, he's had three wins this year, so. That's uh, it's lovely to see. It's always uh, when you bred it. I think there's ex- something extra special when you own the horse as well. And I know you're a jumps man, but would you would you get more into flat racing if you could do more things like this? Yeah, I think um, it's 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 the added icing on the cake. To watch your horse at home is one thing and special, 
but ultra special is when you come abroad to events where it's a big event like this, build up to it. Um, yeah, it's uh, fantastic, and I think um, it's great for Bahrain what they're trying to achieve and st- stepping up and they're putting on a good show, and I know they will. And uh, yeah, delighted to be in. Good. Can enjoy many more. Love to go to Melbourne next. <laughs> well, that now that now that is a thought. Well, yeah, we had a, I had a slim chance when um, Earl of the Cotswolds won at Newcastle, and um, we had a choice where to go. Or Will um, outlined choices. Could have been Melbourne, could have been Dubai, but um, we went to Ascot Gold Cup. Sadly, it was a really hot day, and the ground was. Slipping. So it, it, I was delighted. He was he was leading for quite a way, so I got some delight. He was first for a while. <laughs> so. Bahrain now, maybe Melbourne next year, but in the meantime, plenty of Cheltenham and Haydock and everywhere else in between. Jed, good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks very much, Nick. Appreciate it. Jed Mason there. Now, Jane, I wasn't expecting Jed to uh, tell us that um, he teases Paul Nichols and calls his horse soft man's game, and Nichols calls calls Jed Mason's horse with Dan Skelton protector crap. But, you know, there you go. Bit of banter. Games. Um, Either are. Both horses are good horses. All right. Well, of course, you know, those are Gold Cup horses this season. I haven't spoken to you since the the Ladbrokes uh, down Royal. Richie and I discussed it on Monday quite extensively. I'd be interested to know from your point of view whether you thought that was a race, Jerry Colomb uh, on violin, conflated Manella Rinda, how that's going to have an, a bearing on the rest of the season, where all these horses are likely to go, what Christmas is going to look like, and just how what did it make you think about in terms of the Gold Cup? It made me think that Jerry Colomb is uh, one of those novice chasers that's genuinely going to make an impact at Gold Cup level, open company level, because I thought he won despite of circumstances. And I thought Rachel Blackmore nearly stole it at the second last. And it was an exquisite ride from her in defeat on Envoy Lynn. I think it also showed us that Manila Indo is not the horse he was, even though he had the benefit of a run and having won on his seasonal debut. He just didn't have it in the last two or three furlongs and it's now indicated that he will likely take the cross-country route en route to Aintree, um, the Aintree Grand National in, in, in April and um, Conflated, who was mooted as one of the best Banks horse that Gordon Elliott has seen at home. The most natural Banks horse. Thank God he's not going over the Banks straight away. He's potentially going to bring him to the grade one at Leprechaun because he ran so well in defeat. A lot of these good horses, they're either grade one caliber or heading for the cross country. And to me, that's a little bit of a shame because I just mentioned where are all the good horses gone for the handicaps. Well, two of them, Gold Cup contenders, formerly Gold Cup standard horses, are running in the Glen Farkless cross country at Cheltenham on Friday. Yeah, well, the cross country has definitely never, never enjoyed such a such a classy bunch of horses. Make of that what you will. Maybe we've got Tiger Roll to, to thank for that. But the, the legacy is is quite a significant one by the looks of it. Well, clearly a huge contingent of British, Irish, French visitors to Bahrain this week. Safi Osborne might normally be riding here. Indeed, she has the last couple of winters to great success as well and has good associations with the, with the kingdom. Is here, isn't riding, legs all strapped up. Uh, Safi, just remind us what's happened. Um, I've been put out for the remainder of this year. I've got a PCL injury in my knee and I've got to spend two months in a brace and then hoping to be back riding in January. A scale of 1 to 10, how bored are you? 12. Is it really that bad? Yeah, I think when you go from your life being flat out busy and you don't really even have time to 
sleep to being able sort of waking up in the morning and not really knowing what you're going to do with your day it's um yeah it feels like i haven't been riding for months but it's actually only probably been two weeks and what about keeping yourself fit and in the in the kind of mental state that you want to be in while you've got this pretty big brace that is you know enveloping your right leg um yeah mental side i'm lucky that it's it's been a it's been a fairly fruitful year for me and um so i can kind of almost reflect on that and um hopefully try and better it next year but um i'm able to do plenty of stuff in the gym still and keep my fitness up and um that's really good for my brain because i think if i was bedridden not been able to do anything then i probably would go crazy but i'm obviously not this week but i've been in oxy house a lot and i'm keeping busy and it sounds like you've nipped it in the bud it could have been a lot worse if you hadn't actually gone right stop yeah i was sort of getting a lot of um advice from obviously the knee specialist and and jerry hill and they basically were saying that if i was going to keep going i could be looking at six to nine months and a a fairly hefty operation but um hopefully sort of nipping it in the bud now and two months in this brace will um sort of solve my problems and i'll be ready to go again in january and i know you were a bit gutted because you were desperate to get to the 100 in the in the calendar year how close did you get yeah, I was a way off, but um, no, with sort of two months still to go for the year, I was hoping that it, it might be possible. And um, yeah, Tony Hines done an unbelievable job. To if I if you could have told me at the beginning of the year, first year out of my claim, that I would have been in that position to be thinking of doing that, and also to have ridden a better quality of horse this year, then um, I probably would have snapped your hand off for it. But um, no, it's been a brilliant year, and just really looking forward to trying and building on it next year. I mean, there've been a number of obvious obvious high points. Would would Random Harvest? top it yeah random harvest obviously massive high point of the year but I, the chester cup for me was massive it sort of kick-started the year and i had a fairly slow and turbulent start to the year and um that sort of really kick-started it um yeah random harvest was amazing and even chagoni winning a um, stakes race at the back end of the year was, was yeah, that was that was fun wasn't it that was yeah it was fun i think it was the sort of the manner that she did it and um yeah it was a she had a lot to find on numbers and um yeah to sort of go and sort of just edge out a, a fairly hefty competitor was um, was really fun in your own head how how far do you have to go to be considered among the very top echelon of british base riders <laughs> i say a long way to go um uh, it was my aim this year to get in the top 20 in the jockeys championship and i, and I did that and um yeah next year you want to keep building on that and i obviously that in my head think about what my goals are for next year but I like to keep them in my head and um, no I, I think I've got a long way to go to me the top boys are riding in group ones every single weekend and, and, and that's, that's the stage I'd like to get to well it's good to see you here in Bahrain what are you doing here? not getting a tan because <laughs> I'll just burn like a crisp um, I was meant to be riding out here so I thought I'd, I thought I'd come anyway well I think it sounds like a very sensible plan bit of sunshine might speed up the recovery Thanks for chatting to me. <laughs> nice to see you. <laughs> well, on an international front, once we're through this weekend in Bahrain, then our sights will be turned to Japan and the Japan Cup. And you know, you just know you've got to tune in and it'll be live on racing TV this year as well because um, you're going to see the best horse in the world in, in Equinox. Uh, Nahira Goda, our friend from the Green Channel, is, is with me now. Um, any reason to think that this isn't going to be a, a glorious crowning swan song for this for this great horse, Nahira? Is, is confidence as high as it has been? Yes, you know, it is very likely that uh, the Japan Cup will be the final opportunity for racing fans to witness the you know the world highest rated horse running at racetrack for us. So, you know, 
uh, we are very much looking forward to him running in the Japan Cup next weekend. Nick? Uh, yeah, I mean, is there is there meaningful opposition to him, Nahira? Can you see any circumstances in which he's actually given a given a serious race? Yes, you know, of course, you know, my, my favorite for Japan Cup is the Equinox, but I do not think this is a one-horse race because the field includes Liberty Island, who swept all three legs for Triple Crown for three all-year filly this year. So she's, she's a, you know, another, another superstar in Japan. And, uh, you know, I think... I, I think uh, this is a very, very interesting match between Equinox and Liberty Island. Many people are saying that the Liberty Island may be, may be as good as Almond Eye. If it's correct, you know, this will be a <laughs> fantastic you know, match between Liberty Island and Equinox. I mean, it just seems that you produce another one of these superstars year in, year out. Since we've been doing this podcast alone... We've had Almond Eye, and we've had Contrail, and we've had Equinox, and we've had, you know, they come along with, with you know, not monotonous, certainly, but with, with glorious regularity, if you're a fan of Japanese racing. Is this just a measure of how efficient your, your system and your breeding operation has become, do you think? Yeah, you know, Nick. You know, as you as you have seen, the result of the November sale at Kentucky earlier this month. You know, the Japanese breeders spend a huge amount of money to buy mares with the highest profile from America, and it is expected the Japanese breeders will be very active at the Tattersalls. December mayor sale, where you know we we will see most of the top breeders in Japan. So I think you know Japanese has been investing onto a huge amount of money to build a breeder uh, brood with the highest quality for last ten years, or I should say twenty years. Mm. So now now it's time you know, to have the have the fruits of those investment now, and not just that, continuing to invest in these middle distance stallions, Hookham, uh, brother of Baid. And winner of the King George and the runner-up in the King George, the Frankel horse Westover, both headed to Japan. What sort of impact do you think they're going to make with breeders? Yeah, in addition, you know, we will have a dire derby winner in Japan next year. Yes, we are very, very much excited, uh, and you know, it's it's sort of the you know, pleasant surprise to know that you know European breeders are you know, decided to release Fukum Westover. Dyer, you know, all of them, you know, very top class, middle distance horses. So, of course, you know, Japanese breeders are very excited, very much excited to have those, you know, top horses in Japan next year and next spring. Well, we've been talking about sire power an awful lot in this in this episode, and it seems that Japan is going to have that middle distance sire power moving forward. Another great showing in the Breeders' Cup. No winners this time, but Derma Sotogake and Anushpa Tazora both ran well, particularly the former, who is a younger horse and is... It could be really quite exciting next year. Are we likely to see him, do you think, Dubai World Cup, Saudi Cup, that kind of thing? I think so, yes. You know, it's a shame because, you know, uh, Derma Sotogake, you know, he was suffered a bruised foot, foot problem, and he missed a prep race, which was scheduled in the end of the September. So the Breeders' Cup Classic was a fast start for him since, you know, the Kentucky Derby. You know, if 
Oh, if you know Daniel Sotonake has had the prep race in Japan, I think you know he had a very good chance to win the Breeders' Cup Classic. And yes, it's the plan that uh, you know he's kept in training next year. And yes, the first target is Mid East, probably Saudi Cup or Dubai World Cup or both of them. Going from strength to strength. Now, Hero, as always, thanks so much for your time and for your expertise. It's my pleasure. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. <laughs> the superb Nahiro Goda. And talking of people with superb insight, I'm really pleased to say that I received a, a communication from James Willoughby um, last night. James, who has curated the Thoroughbred Racing Commentary Global Rankings, which we've enjoyed so much on this podcast over the last few years. And he sent me uh, a spreadsheet entitled 58,490 Horses who have run in global group and graded races since 2011, rated and ranked by the TRC computer. And I thought you might like to enjoy the, say, top 20 of those 58,000 horses uh, in that time, worldwide since 2011. So, and perhaps I ought to start just outside the top 20, uh, 21, because he's a he's a, a pretty notable horse. So Gunrunner, who's making such a wonderful impression as a stallion at, at 21, uh, Steve Asmussen, of course, fold in 2013. Fold in 2011, the 2014 Derby winner Australia is in at 20 for Aidan O'Brien. At 19, the cult hero fold in 2011 for Art Sherman, California Chrome. 18 is Japanese star, another one of those Japanese stars, or Fevre, who can forget him, curling up in Solimia's Arc de Triomphe. Uh, Yatsutoshi Ike trained uh, or fervor. 17 is Ace Impact the horse has just gone to stud so the second highest of what you might call the current group in this list Jean-Claude Rouget uh, 16 is Authentic a rather forgotten about Covid uh, Derby and Breeders' Cup Classic winner for Bob Baffert at 16 a sort of horse that's sort of lost in the mist of time really Cracksman's at 15 one of a very strong representation from John Thady Gosden in the in the top few here 14 is Minding, seven-time Group 1 winner for Aidan O'Brien. 13, Golden Horn, the 2015 Derby winner, again for the Gosdens. And here we go, at 12, and he will go higher. Uh, Equinox, if he bolts up in the Japan Cup, you'd think, for Tetsuya Kimura. And one place ahead of Equinox at the moment is the mayor. I was just talking about, Armand I. Well, this is an, here's an interesting one. We get into the top 10. Uh, highest place Godolphin uh, horse since 2011, Gayath. If you listen to Charlie Appleby, he'll say, by far the best horse I've trained. So there you go, middle distance horse I've trained, he'll always say. So there you are in at 10. Nine is in Abel. Um, we know all about her, what she did. Three King Georges and a brace of arcs for the Gosdens. Eight is Arrogate, who, yeah, certainly might be the best US dirt horse I, I ever saw in the flesh. Seven, in she's quite high, and she was brilliant in her two arcs. Trev for Cricket Head Marek. Then Black Caviar. Uh, for Peter Moody at six. American Pharaoh, the Triple Crown winner, is high at five. Winks at four. Baid at three. Flightline at two. And, of course, Frankel at number one. There you go. Uh, out of those 58,000 horses compiled lovingly and curated brilliantly by James Willoughby in global group and graded racing since 2011, that was the top 20 or top 21. Um, and now we're heading to Hong Kong and J.A. McGrath. 
Nick, we're talking jockeys on the Hong Kong beat today. First of all, Hugh Bowman, who took that terrible fall at Sha Tin at the weekend, is going to be out for six to eight weeks. It's very doubtful that he'll be seen before Christmas on the track, and maybe even in the new year. But good news from Australia is that Jay Mack, James McDonald, has answered the call, and he'll be coming up to Hong Kong to essentially replace Hugh Bowman in the ranks. It's a short-term contract. He'll be there for five weeks, starting on November the 23rd, which is next week. And, of course, all his fans in Hong Kong greatly looking forward to that. Also greatly looking forward to him renewing his association with Romantic Warrior, the very brave and narrow winner of the Cox Plate. That was a brilliant win for Hong Kong. And uh, Jay Mack, who rode five Group 1 winners in the Australian Spring, is eagerly looking forward to that extended stint in Hong Kong. Also, news of Romantic Warrior, well, he's well and truly ticking over nicely with the Hong Kong Cup on December the 10th as his main mission, and Danny Shum very, very pleased with his progress. News about Mr Brightside, who was runner-up in that Cox Plate to Romantic Warrior, well, there will be no uh, a, a no uh, re- re- return bout with uh, Romantic Warrior in Hong Kong because Mr Brightside is going for a short break. Uh, he'll uh, come back for the autumn, and uh, probably that's in late February in, and uh, early March for the big races there in Melbourne. Also news of the Longines International Jockeys Challenge. Well, the overseas squad has been announced, as you would expect. Ryan Moore is head of the list there. Also Rachel King representing Australia. Tom Marquand and Holly Doyle, the husband and wife duo, they take their places. Mikhail Barzalona is also in the squad. And also uh, coming over is uh, Bezan uh, Mirzabayev, or Mirza to you and me. He's the four-time German champion who, of course, is uh, successfully riding in France. So it's going to be a very uh, international lineup for that International Jockeys Challenge, which takes place four days before the Hong Kong International Races. Well, we race at Happy Valley today. That's a nine-event card, and the best bet of the, on the card is in race seven, number eight, Taj Dragon, trained by Pierre Ng, who's in terrific form at the moment. He's gone way clear in the Trainers' Championship with 20 wins to his credit already, and the uh, chasing group are headed by Francis Loy, Danny Shum, and also Frankie, uh, Frankie Law, uh, and they have 14 wins apiece. So it's uh, going to be uh, very interesting to see them, uh, the battle play out for the rest of the season. That's all on the Hong Kong Beat this week. I'll have more for you next week. Well, as you know, there are many great ways to consume this podcast and you will all have your own ways of doing so. But we have been working together with our sponsors at Fitzdares to uh, make it a, a one-stop shop for you where you can not only access this but also access an awful lot of other racing information and data. Uh, will Woodham's the Chief Executive of Fitzdares is with me now. Will, it is called... The Racing App. Uh, Simple as that. I thought. (laughs) It is a one-stop shop for every bit of data in racing. Um, And uh, it's completely free. And uh, why racing hasn't done this before to make it accessible to younger people, we don't know. Uh, But it's entirely free and really exciting. And uh, your listeners can have a play with it today because it is now in the App Store. Uh, it's going to be launched Friday at Cheltenham. Um, but just as an example, sorry, I'm going on a bit, Nick. But as an example, if you wanted to look at Delta Works' last six runs, you just go into the app, pick Friday, pick Cheltenham, pick whichever race it's in, 345, 
pick Delta Works, look at the form, look at our form, look at the price, and then you can watch its last six runs. That is how comprehensive the app is. It's also got live racing and replays and everything you possibly need. There you are. So all the, all the form, all the videos, all the replays, uh, all everything. All, every single episode of this podcast going back to goodness knows when. It's full fat for everything you need in racing. And it's a really small app. So when you're on the race course, you'll be able to use it perfectly. None of that issues you sometimes have at Cheltenham. Okay, great. There you are. So it's not it's not overloaded, and uh, it is called the racing app. You can download it for free now. It is entirely for free, and you can uh, get your podcast there uh, every day um, uh, as soon as it as soon as it comes out. It's perfect, Nick. Uh, honestly, if you don't download it and you're listening to the Dick Buck podcast, you're a bit a bit silly. Is a polite way I put it. Well, we like to support all forms of horse racing on this podcast particularly grassroots racing point to pointing in the uk has been you know, part of my life for as long as i can remember i practically grew up at, at tweezledown Racecourse, so i'm only too happy to to talk about it and point you in the direction of people who know a lot more about it than i do one of whom is sam davis thomas who is running uh, his own podcast fortnightly uh, podcast uh, the pointing podcast and he is uh, on the line now uh, tell me more, Sam, uh, uh, and and tell us where we can find it. Hi, Nick. Thanks very much for having me. Yes, so it's um, Pointing Pointers is the podcast, and you can find it on uh, Twitter under Pointing Podcast or any any podcast platform under Pointing Podcast. Uh, yeah, it's the only point-to-point podcast that we we have. It was um, actually a brainchild of uh, the host, Ben Atkins, uh, four years ago. So we're in our fourth season now. Um, and luckily, you know, this year we've managed to move on to huge trying to attract a wider audience um, which is made possible by some great support now from the PPRA uh, the Point to Point Owners and Riders Association and also Connolly's Red Mills and Foreign Equine have come on board this season as well to, to support us so it's great because you know podcast as you know you do it daily we do it fortnightly it's really hard to it takes time um, but no it's great to be able to promote the sport that we all seem to love and you know it's the grassroots of um, the racing industry really and you have a lot of fun when you're doing it as well by the looks of it yeah, we do. Yeah, I try and make it as fun as possible. I suppose that's just me. Ben's a bit more serious than me, but um, it's got to be informative. But it's also got to be fun, which is what point to point is about. If if you're not, you're not going to be point to point, and you know, if you're not having fun. So um, yeah, I try and make it as fun as possible. Get a range of guests on. Um, we you know we have a, a, a big variety of guests, um, and try and you know, branch out to the younger generation as well as you know the, the the locals who've been in the game for years. Try and be informative, but also you know trying to get the audience out there and get a bit more generate some more publicity right who are going to be the stars of this point of pointing season oh well in my eye will bid it in my eyes ed vaughan's you know he's got tim vaughan's got a lot of horses this year for ed um so but yeah you've got will bid jack andrews obviously gina andrews is the eight main ones um callum pritchard i've been impressed with um last year he was leading novice last year he's, he's a very nice guy and a very good rider so um but yeah, there's lots there's been owners of owner, owner trainers winning like last weekend at Babby Rings, Miles Osborne. Um, it's just, pointing is open to everyone and that's what we want to get across. It's not just the business model of buying stores, making money, which everyone thinks is going a bit too professional. It's open to everyone. There's opportunities for everyone and um, yeah, people already do a great job to promote that and get that out to other people and if anyone wants to get involved, you know, it's only a phone call away. Everyone's really happy to help. Great stuff, Sam. Looking forward to tuning into the next episode, which is out when? Tomorrow, tomorrow we've got um, former, well, 
looking likely to be champion jockey Sean Bowen on this week, along with alongside Charlie Post, Will Biddick, and John Mathias from Red Mills on this week as well. So, yeah, it's a good episode. We were down at Babby Rings on Sunday doing some filming. So, hopefully, YouTube might be quite interesting as well. Brilliant stuff. Sam, thanks for talking to me. Best of luck with it. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, thanks to all my guests today. Jane Mangan is, is still with me. Jane, as I, I look out of the window here in, in Bahrain Bay, it's just a, a little hazy uh, at the moment. The, the sun seems to have gone in. Sorry, sorry. Your sun has gone in. Mine went in back in September. <laughs> How's the holiday going? Sorry, what holiday? Holiday? I've been grafting, grafting around the globe. Grafting. Do you know where? Do you know where people, real grafters go? Where they go to Dundalk because Dundalk is where it's really cold. Okay. And there's a maiden there today at three thirty, where I quite like the look of Not Forgotten. Michael Halford comes into his own and the all weather at Dundalk over the winter. He absolutely farms races, and I think Not Forgotten has the profile to finally get off the mark after some very solid placed efforts. So three thirty. Don't forget it. Not forgotten. Uh, enjoy Fairy House today, Jane. Enjoy Dundalk a little bit later. Good luck to Not Forgotten. Good luck to you. Uh, thank you so much for listening once again. And I will leave you with the news that the Just Giving page set up by uh, Graham Lee's daughter, Amy, is now up to £68,000 uh, and counting. Please do uh, donate as generously as you are able to. Um, it goes without saying. Um, thank you for listening. We will see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.